病なくせに物見高く怠け者のくせに欲深く被害者意識の塊でこのくしたまらどいつもこいつも気に入らんWe decide on all、Hit、the official ratings the and rankings for every film that we cover. Patreon subscribers also get an on air shout out and two bonus episodes every single month. This is Jamie's fault,、uh, which we have been doing for.、Oh, do. Holy crap, we've been doing it for almost two years now. Yeah. Bonus episodes. Crazy. So there are、uh, 50 plus coming on 60 bonus episodes soon for you guys, for anyone who hasn't made the jump yet. So if you、uh, haven't, patreon.com slash these oids podcast, I would recommend doing that. Um, and speaking、do. of which,、uh, we do have a,、uh, quite a few people to thank this week、uh, who've made the jump.、Uh, we have、uh, Bryden Doyle,、uh, Mike Campbell,、uh, Chris Bauman. Mike Campbell's my uncle, I just realized that. Is that your uncle? <laughs> yeah, that's my Damn, uncle. Damn, a sleazoid. <laughs> yeah, we appreciate you, Uncle Mike. <laughs> <laughs>、uh, JW,、uh, and. David Fowler, and that was just last month, so、uh, there's a couple more for this month too.、Uh, and for this month, we've got、uh, Ned Grade and Jack Gradis. Awesome. Thanks, so、guys. thanks to all you guys for making the jump to Patreon. We、uh, appreciate that a lot. Oh, yeah.、Uh, helps us out over here. I、uh, hope you guys are enjoying all those bonus episodes. And、uh, the other plug for the week. Uh, as always, Apple Podcasts. If you guys are listening on Apple Podcasts on your phone, on the app that says Podcasts on it, <laughs> which I see the stats, I know you guys are,、You're、scroll、right、down、there. to the bottom and give us a good old、uh, rating and review.、Uh, it helps us find new listeners, and we appreciate that as well. And、uh, we have had a couple people do it recently, and we've been feeling good about them.、Yeah. You know, one guy said that we were the best film podcast. Oh, that's awesome. And I was like, thanks, well, thank man. Thank you, sir. And、uh, because he said that all other film podcasts are boring celeb gossip and bad riffs. <laughs> and I was like, it's kind of a backhanded compliment. <laughs> yeah. But we appreciate it. We really appreciate it.、Um, well, he said you have good riffs. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> that's what we'll assume that, that, that he meant, and not that we shouldn't try riffing ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But those are your plugs for the week. As always, I am your host, Josh Lewis, and joining me、uh, is my co host, Jamie Miller. Welcome back.、Uh, thanks so much for being with us this week. I think two weeks ago would have been the last time you guys, free listeners, would have heard from us, and、uh, we would have had special guest,、uh, freelance horror artist Trevor Henderson on to do sort of、uh, 
small town secrets in uh, in the 1980s. Uh, We did uh, John Carpenter's The Fog from 1980 and Gary Sherman's Dead and Buried from 1981. We had a lot of fun talking about both those with him. That was a discovery for both of us, right? The Dead and Buried one? Yeah, Dead and Buried. Yeah, that was great. What a a film. What a picture. (laughs) Yeah, go some places. Um, And then uh, for bonus listeners last week, everyone over on Patreon, we did... uh, in in tandem with the release of uh, Lee Winnell's Invisible Man remake, which is good, which Jamie and I finally have seen now, yeah, it's and really good. we actually liked it quite liked a bit. Um, we'll probably do a bonus transmission over on Patreon the next couple couple yes. weeks on on sure. that one. Uh, we did the original Invisible Man from 1933, and we paired it with Roger Corman's X. The Man with the X-Ray Eyes yeah. from uh, uh, 30 years later, 1963. Both of them about mad scientists experimenting on themselves and maybe seeing things they should not have seen and going yeah. places they should not have gone. Um, but again, if you want that episode, patreon.com slash Podcast. That was last week's bonus episode. But this week, we have a very special guest joining us, a returning guest. We don't have too many returning guests on the podcast. Oh. So I think... I think is this the only the second returning guest ever? I think Andrew's been on three times, and I don't yeah. think anyone else has been on a second time. I don't think so. So that honor is going to go to one Perry Rulland. You might remember Perry from his episode exactly a year ago yeah. on uh, Akira and Tetsuo 2 Body Hammer. But Perry, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm doing good. Good to hear. Well, welcome back. Perry is a, uh, I mean, I... It's, I guess you don't write freelance for anyone, but I follow Perry's letterbox and it is a, <laughs> the the place where I get some of the most recommendations I get for new <laughs> things I've never fucking heard of before. Um, and oh, also yeah. Perry, though, is a filmmaker and uh, I actually helped kickstart his uh, recent independent uh, short horror film that he did. And Killer. I've seen it. It's called Sungazer. You should watch out for it in the near future at any film festivals it's playing at because I liked it a lot. Sweet. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I've made movies before. Hopefully we'll do so in the future. Uh, and yeah, that's all there is to me. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's it. No, but it's, it's very helpful because it, it helps us understand where you're coming from, where your taste comes from. You watch some of the smallest and most transgressive films of anyone that I follow. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And that will lead us partially into what you brought, <laughs> specifically, <laughs> what you brought with you today. So, Perry, you know how it goes. Perry's been a longtime supporter of the show. He was one of the first patrons um, on the show. Um, so, uh, we always have the guests bring on the two episodes with them. So, uh, which two films have you brought with you today and why do they pair together? So the two films I brought with me today are, uh, the 1932 Todd Browning film Freaks and the 1992 Hiroshi Harada film Midori. I brought these two films on because one, they are both very strange films about freak shows, which are always fun to look at. Uh, but more specifically, they are very strange, very controversial works, uh, widely banned, widely, um, let's say that opinions on them can be very ranging. Um, <laughs> I would say especially they, with uh, Midori, probably. Yes, oh, well, yeah, and, well, especially and, with Midori. And, and, I mean, at the time when Freaks came out, 
Oh, yeah. It would have been freaks. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine. Freaks now has gone on to have a bit more of a reputation, be a little bit more respected. But yeah, when it came out, yeah. obviously there is notoriously like 30 minutes missing from that film that they literally can't find because. Which, oh, it's so oh, yeah. just devastating. Because a lady claimed that the original footage gave her a miscarriage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, man, we'll, that could we'll, be the we'll tagline right that. there. <laughs> because. Yeah, Freaks' reception was nuts. But the one thing that binds these two films together besides their uh, their narrative similarities is that they are both by two very strange directors, and they both have very strange histories of how they were screened and how they were received. And we will talk about both those individually, but basically... When we get to Midori, I mean, you've never heard of a movie being screened like this. I promise. It's going to be worth it. All right. Well, we're very excited to yes, hear about that. Very. Um, but yeah, so that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about Freaks from uh, 1932 and Midori from 1992. Um, so about 60 years difference between yeah. these ones here. Um, but that being said, I think we're going to jump right into it and we are going to talk Todd Browning's Freaks. All right, we are talking Freaks, the 1932 American pre-code horror film produced and directed by one Todd Browning. Some of you might be familiar with Todd Browning based on um, his smash success, uh, Dracula, from 1931. That's the uh, actually the only other Browning that I've seen. And I'll be honest, I wasn't super impressed by Dracula. Oh, yeah. Uh, of all the Universal Monster you movies, there's some nice silver. photography in it, but... Uh, not, not the, um, not the universal monster movie for me. Um, whereas freaks on the other hand, which was, uh, basically greenlit right off of the success of Dracula being like, you need to follow it up immediately with something that's dark. That was basically what they told them was just that Dracula was a big success. It was kind of dark. They were like, do something weird, man. Just go nuts. And he did. (laughs) (laughs) And he, oh, oh, did he? He 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 just uh, really went off. No, I don't think that he wrote this one. Okay. But they basically had him like select who he wanted gotcha. for the project and like decide what he want what his next project was going to be. Okay. Um, yeah. But they just knew that they wanted to immediately be like Todd Browning, ma- massive success. We want another Todd Browning horror film like within a year. Okay. Like, <laughs> so, oh, so it was that quick, that t- quick of a Yeah, Dracula around. was 1931 and Freaks oh, right. was 1932, so they they came out pretty close to each and, other. And Dracula was pretty highly regarded at the time, correct? Yes. So like how oh, yeah. this move, I'm sure uh like give me maybe give me some insight on the uh the reception of this one thing cuz like I can imagine this was far more controversial than Dracula. Well, it, it, it helps by briefly kind of like telling telling you guys, for anyone who hasn't seen Freaks, like what Freaks is and the reason 
anyone had any sort of revulsion to it in the first place. Yeah, for sure. Is that l- loosely, it is a story about a bunch of uh, circus sideshow performers, um, many of them um, deformed or disabled in certain ways. Um, and Todd Browning made the controversial decision in, in the casting process to actually cast real um, sideshow and circus performers, real disabled people in the film. Um, he has uh, little people. He has Siamese twins. He has people missing arms, people missing legs. One guy is literally just a torso. Um, yeah, I think there's one guy who seems to have like a kind of like a flamingo leg, like his body kind of like his legs have kind of a bent shape mm-hmm. to them and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, and he decided that They're pretty extreme uh, in in a way that I think many people at the time would have read as exploitative. He hired all of these people as actors to be um, in this film. Um, but then his actual film kind of sort of started to take shape. And he has a story that is is actually largely about just the daily routines of these people and actually what is a very human portrait of um people who live this kind of life and how they yeah. are treated and um because the majority of this isn't horror at all no like, yeah it's no, really it's like just a melodrama this, yeah yeah exactly it really is a 30s melodrama about like who's gonna marry who and how are how are people gonna afford their lifestyles and right. like things like this uh until the last like 10 or 15 minutes of the film yeah. Um, now I understand that this real was originally a ninety-minute film, and that there is a lot cut from the last half hour of the film. Is there more horror elements that were cut? It sounded that we like of? there was a lot more of the comeuppance. Okay. Um, the yeah. it, it cuts away from the violence pretty quickly. It sounds like there was an entire set piece of them like brutally killing oh, the so trapeze like artists and like stuff like that, chasing through the woods kind of thing. That just doesn't. Yeah. End. It's it. It actually goes on. Yeah. It no, actually it, had it goes them on, and they um they corner the uh, Hercules leads and uh the the original ending of it is that they castrate hercules and then the last like the last image of the film is like hercules singing falsetto and then it ends holy shit (laughs) yeah that's that's a powerful one uh i mean i will say i i think the when we get to it the ending image of this one with the trapeze artist is pretty pretty crazy Uh, yeah well and 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 there was more imagery of how she got turned into that oh Oh, wow yeah wow (laughs) That like would have been insane. Yeah. So and so apparently that's what like a lot of the missing footage from the film is, and that was what really upset people. When I it also came out. heard, and this is less of like the violence, but I also heard that they're missing uh, a clip where the uh, the the torso guy, the one that ha- he has no arms or legs. Yeah. Um. He he not only lights the cigarette, but he rolls the entire thing, and you see the entire process, and that got deleted as well. What? And I can't find it, and I'm just like. That would have been unbelievable to watch. That was like I can, you know, I can't even roll a joint by myself, let alone with my mouth. Him, him, <laughs> him, him lighting his own cigarette is uh, one of my favorite, like small little details oh, of the film. Yeah. Actually, it's so amazing to watch, it's and it's what it's what really brings life to this is that he did, you know, go and find these real people who really yeah. live these lives, and he really gives them the chance to like show you you know, that a lot of these people just want to live with dignity. They just want to hang out. They just want to have sex. They just want to like, you know, and so, uh, weirdly enough, that is that what I feel like ended up kind of being more controversial about the film. Okay. Oh yeah. Is, is how much sympathy it has for their experience and how justified, um, at that point you feel like their actions are. Mm. And I think that was what made people so deeply uncomfortable when it came out. Um, in the 1930s, as with the reactions of 
you know, major reviews and like variety and stuff like that were basically like, you know, I, I think that it's, you know, horrible that we are meant to sympathize with these people and you just can't. And also there was something about the do about <laughs> how being... can't I don't know. It's like, how can't you? It's I mean, I I understand you know, you shouldn't maybe murder or whatever at the end of the day, but but I just don't understand how you couldn't sympathize with them up until at least that point. You know, well, I, mean? I think that oh. that is the contradiction that people just can't can't live with this idea that someone that they would sympathize with would do terrible violence oh, and okay. that they don't have a very compelling argument against it in the film. Gotcha. They really are just like it's it's kind of scary that uh, this is how these people might view us. Was right. what what another one said. I think that was the New Yorker one that was saying that literally attributing the us as like uh, the, uh, the Hercules norm, and the tree. Unquote. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And just being terrified that there's going to be like a circus rebellion. Treat people with special needs like properly then. It's worth contextualizing uh, that Todd Browning himself uh, literally ran away to join the circus when he was a teenager. Oh, wow. uh, so he spent a good chunk of his life in a lot of where he develops artistic sensibilities uh, with traveling circuses, with freak shows. Uh, so he's very familiar with this world. It's like a very, it's a very personal plea from him. Like it's not like he said, "Oh, I." One day he woke up and said, "I don't think people are nice enough to, to circus <laughs> performers." Like it's something that's so beautiful and so really human about this movie uh, is that it really is like an empathetic melodrama that is sort of boxed up and oh, here's a horror movie for you guys to watch. It's yeah. really smuggled in. Yeah, absolutely. I also love like how they show certain connections uh, between the performers, like the one, uh, I mean, this one's more specific because it's uh, her uh, Siamese twin, but I loved that image of her kissing her fiance and then the one uh, closes her eyes and it's almost as if she can feel the emotion and the love that, uh, that her sister's receiving. I thought that those kind of ideas were really, really nice too. Or like uh, the character Flozo, I believe his name, uh, the clown. Yeah, Frozo. And everything <laughs> that he does has, a, has an irony to it, no matter what it is. Like even when he's taking a bath, it's, it's revealed five minutes later that he was just sitting in a bathtub and there's no water or anything like that. <laughs> he's just doing it for the gag. So those, those moments too are, are really nice. Uh, they, each character, I feel, actually has quite a defined moment within the movie. And there's, and there's quite a few of them, too, within, like, this is only a 60-minute movie, and there's quite a few characters in it that you get to know. Yeah, I mean, there's the, um, the brother and sister combo of um, Frida and Hans, who in the film are supposed to be playing um, um, soon-to-be husband and wife, right. which is why there's not a lot of romance between them on screen, because they were played by literal brothers and sisters. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I gotta say, um, if we could talk about uh, Hans for for a second, his performance is fantastic. Oh, it's fantastic! Amazing. Uh, I was gonna say too, though, his character. How do you feel about like the way that it arcs? Because he, re I feel like Frida really just gets the shit end of the stick the whole time. <laughs> and at the end, obviously, you don't want Hans because he's been, you know, somewhat tricked and things like that. You don't want him to feel that isolation that he feels at the end. But at the same time, it kind of feels like he got off easy with, with Frida. <laughs> you know well, what I mean? We, like, he treats her pretty shitty. Well, the, the, the ending well, was, was we, the studio um, shoehorned in ending, though, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, uh, should we uh, first 
kind of go over the plot so we can let people know who Hans and Frieda are. Yeah, yeah for that's sure. a good idea. <laughs> we do that in this show. <laughs> go oh. everywhere. No, nah, it's all good. Uh, <laughs> but like the film, the 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 core of the movie is it is a love triangle, and there's like a, a carnival dwarf named Hans uh, and his wife uh, or his soon to be wife Frida. Um, and Hans is also somewhat, uh, enamored with, uh, Cleopatra, right? Is that yeah, her name? Cleopatra. Yeah. yeah. Played Cleopatra. by the, uh, the Russian actress, uh, Olga Black, Baklanova. Nice. Yeah. And she's this, uh, she's the, the trapeze artist. She's like the star of the show and learning that Hans has this inheritance. She teams up with the strongman Hercules, uh, to plot to kill Hans and steal his money. Not a not a nice not, not fun no <laughs> not a nice lady no she definitely wants to uh, take it advantage of him and shows interest in in him exclusively for that reason and he gets very excited because you know someone of of normal size um, doesn't you know he he describes it as you know that person always kind of like laughs at at me and there's a, a nice gesture at the beginning where he tries to like put like her her coat on for her. And she's kind of like doing it in like this sort of like smirking, like pity kind of way. Yeah, and yeah. then, and then him the whole time. And then, and then he explains like, "Look, no, like I'm trying to do this for real. Like people think that I'm a child because I'm small, but like I'm a real man. I have feelings." Um, and then she actually just bends down and lets him do it, and it's actually like a really nice moment. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and and after that is when she starts plotting with his uh, interest in her. Yeah, she like starts right away she starts mocking Frida, basically, and just kind of teasing her and, and definitely poking at her, trying to get her upset. Yeah, and, and what's really interesting about this is that, you know, it is really just a typical melodrama, except for the fact that Hans and Frida are, are small. And, like, that's yeah. that's kind of what makes it interesting to me, because I know what you're talking about when you say that, like, Hans in the process of leaving his fiance for this trapeze artist, he kind of acts like a bit of a dick bag, especially to Frida where he, I mean, at at one point he even says, no woman will tell me what to do. I was literally just going to say that. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and stuff like that. But what's so interesting is that the main argument that the film is making is that Hans should have the basic human dignity to choose to be a sexist dick bag. If he wanted to be (laughs) (laughs) equality. Um, Todd Browning, you're canceled. Yeah. So, so like, because again, he's, he's not saying that like Hans is like a good person for doing that, but he's kind of like Hans should be, have the, the, the decision he should have the choice he should yeah. be able to you know not be treated like a little monster and be taken advantage of just because of that sure. um and be seen as lesser because of that so um but you are right that he does very much mistreat frida yeah, who, who's very me. much by him and just wants to help him and support him and see him happy yeah. and there is a, a, a horrible um scene where she is basically just like you know um you're you've you've just hurt me and i'm really saddened by this and at one point she even goes and talks to um venus who is kind of like one of the more traditionally good-looking people who works in the circus and there's sort of a romance between her and a more sort of romantic leading guy kind of thing and what's interesting is that it has sort of a traditional romance and then it has the love triangle romance between the um you know the the more disabled characters and it basically plays them as the exact same thing which is kind of what was I mean, 
um, sort of special about what Browning was doing with this film, that he would treat both of those situations with the exact same emotional sincerity and investment and watching Venus and Frida talk to each other about how they both feel shit on by men is just like a connection that these two people have, despite the fact that, you know, when you when you look at them, when you look at traditional beauty standards, especially in things like Hollywood, you would not, you know, connect those two people at all. And yeah. here's those two people just having this beautiful conversation about how sad they are. Yeah, <laughs> and, absolutely. And especially when you look at uh, at freak shows of practice, because the whole idea of freak shows, I mean, it's, it's inhumane. It's you get people with disabilities, and then you, they they are literally trotted out to an audience to be laughed at or scared of. Mm. Uh, and what is so beautiful and admirable about freaks is that you don't really get that opportunity. There's no, the framing of them is never like as monstrous or anything with the exception of the ending where they're enacting this righteous justice. And it's like, this is how the people, this is how the people view them as monsters. But what they're doing in the plot is by the film standard justified. Yeah. Yeah, like I, I do find it interesting that the uh, the way that they introduce the um, the performers at first is just like they're just kind of like frolicking in the forest to music mm-hmm. and yeah. just enjoying themselves and and just kind of living a very free free life and uh, oh yeah and then the end has that contrast after you've experienced all the all the abuse that they've gone through so it's just it's I think it's telling that it opens up with such a such a you know positive view of of the situation although that quickly becomes bad when those two gentlemen come up and just start calling them <laughs> freaks and and saying they deserve Monsters to die and, and all that and, kind of and, stuff and her but being like these, are, these are just but children like, come on yeah <laughs> yeah well that that ultimately is kind of like what he's he's taking what what i feel like browning is kind of like taking to task is is this idea that you know the only time he ever films them in a horror light as monsters is when they are just living up to the image people already give to them. Mm-hmm. Like at that, like he never cont- sure. like that's the context for those images. By the time you hit the end of the film, because people react to them like that's what they're doing when they're fucking frolicking in the field. Yeah, exactly. Right? exactly. So like, so yeah. like, so and every sing- even the scene like when you know they, uh, it's a pretty famous scene now. It's the the gobble gobble one of us. Scene. Right. It's like that. It. Uh, the way that people explain it, it's almost as if it's like a creepy scene. But until she starts freaking out on them, it's it's kind of like, they are actually welcoming. Yes, her. It's that's a, what exactly. they're doing. Yeah. They're like, come to like you're a part of us now. It's uh, we're we're accepting of you, and you're accepting of us. Yeah. And it's a very nice scene. And then it turns into like because, an because of the way that they look and because of the way that they sound, they interpreted it as like the strange cult thing yeah. that was happening when they yeah. were just going, no, we just like you and right. want you to join us. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the scene is, so Cleopatra and Hans have married. Cleopatra is going to kill him to get the inheritance. And she's going to poison his wine at this, uh, at this like ceremony where she's brought in with all the circus freaks. And she's like, she's accepted as part of their circle and she's insulted by being accepted with them. Yeah, like yes. she freaks out. It's, it's a heartbreaking scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It's well, yeah. That's where she gets up like and she says, "You're all slimy, slimy yeah. dirty freaks." Yeah. Exactly what she says. Um, and then I think I think the the worst image is when you know there's just hysterical mocking laughter, and he and she takes Hans and puts him over her shoulders to ride yeah. like a horse or whatever. Yeah. And then it fades away from that, so you don't mm-hmm. see like an ending to that scene. It's just like it ends on this 
chaos and, and abuse and it's just oh it's a horrifying scene at the end yeah and it's 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 just i think that the reason this really works for me is because it spends so much time just doing it's kind of like melodrama hangout type thing that it's doing um because ultimately the majority of the scenes in this are just kind of like a bunch of them playing cards or a mm -hmm. bunch of them talking about falling in love and getting married and or you know it's it's just them trying to give each other sh or sometimes giving each other shit but playfully not yeah. in a a mean-spirited way they're yeah. just having a laugh they're trying to love they're trying to live and it's a really fantastic structure for the sh for this story because um it's kind of, you know, it, it kind of shows you a little bit of the show and then it reveals the real people behind that that show that they put on. And, you know, there's great scenes like, for example, um, when they welcome the bearded lady's baby and oh, they talk yeah. about how the baby's going to have a beard and they're so yeah. excited about it. Yeah. Or uh, as as Jamie mentioned before, um, when the uh, armless and legless torso man uh, lights, lights, a lights a cigarette with his mouth. Unbelievable. And uh, obviously, it's th this guy's a real person, and apparently, his mm -hmm. son had to like carry him around the set and everything like that oh, when, wow. they were d when they were mm -hmm. filming. Um, and so, it's something that he really had to learn how to do. Yeah. But it's amazing just watching this guy light his own cigarette, and you're just like that. Something like that is actually like a kind of radical gesture in its own way, Absolutely. because he's taking control of his own life, and that's really ultimately all that these people really want, and especially. I think the most shocking thing when I first watch it is how um, sexually oriented the drama is. It's like, oh yeah, they, like they they talk about the logistics of like how Siamese twins are gonna have two husbands at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's definitely it's definitely pre code. Yes. I mean, There's you even, can't get this made after 1934. <laughs> There's even like hints of abuse within the. The secret relationship between, <clears throat> excuse me, the strongman and uh, Cleo. Like yeah. the first time that they kind of flirt, or at least you see them flirt, uh, he grabs her and she says with a smile on her face, stop it, you're crushing me. And then he's just like, uh, you'll like it or something like that. Yeah. So it's like even even within their love, like there's this implied That's, the, that's normal. That's the normal yeah. shit, bro. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 it's cliche now. Uh, to do a movie where it's like, oh, who are the real monsters? The people. For, for like, sure. The, the, the normal humans are the ones who are gonna... Whatever. It's seeing, like, having it be the classic Hollywood leading man and leading lady be the villains of Freaks yeah. is, I mean, for 1932, that's really radical. Oh, it was really that's, subversive. That's like, it's it's clearly what people rejected when the film oh, yeah, came yeah. out. Like it was clearly that they they went into it and they were used to because of Hollywood standards identifying with the characters like Cleo and the Strongman, and instead they were asked to, how about you look at the basic humanity of these people you otherwise wouldn't consider, yep. and then see the conditions that they're in and what would cause them to maybe uh, go over the edge <laughs> yes and 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 straight up kill the people that you're used to identifying with and you can tell that even in that situation they were identifying with the people being killed which is what really <laughs> fucked them up yeah um, yeah there's yeah, a, you can tell from some of those reviews you were reading off yeah they literally oh, yeah. say us when they're talking opening. about the people that are killed by yeah, the monsters as <laughs> if they're not included like at all like it's just it's that, that language i don't think they i think it was subconscious but it's telling for sure yeah, like, 
it's the reception to freaks is incredibly depressing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Not just not just because it's like an incredibly made movie or anything like that. Just there's what's that? I'm gonna look for. There's this one particular review quote that just fucking crushes me. Um, let me let me check for it. Sure. Wrong. Right. Okay. So there is a review in Variety at the time uh, that says the film does not thrill and at the same time does not please. Since it is impossible for the normal man or woman to sympathize with the aspiring midget, only in such a case will the story appeal. Like, Jesus <laughs> Christ. It's just, there's like, there's like no explanation for it either. It's not like they even try. They're just like, it's a, it, he's a midget. So I just can't, yeah, no. uh, can't identify. That's yeah, fucking no, it's, crazy. It's the film is That's definitely so way ahead of its time. And I mean, thankfully it got rehabilitated. Yeah. Uh, it played Venice and people in the sixties, I think mid 1960, yeah, a, a, a lot of the, uh, sort of, uh, auteur European writers of the time kind of reclaimed it as like a really subversive Hollywood film. And oh, cool. I mean, obviously they were correct. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because even putting aside, uh, like the, the, the story of it and the themes it's going for as a technical work, there is, there's so much moving camera work for a 1932 sound film. Oh yeah. Like I'm, I was really surprised how well that camera just glides around because Correct me if I'm wrong, but that early into sound films, cameras were getting locked down again, right? Yeah, it was it was pretty like, it was pretty hard to get like not see the microphones because they were so big, or to even have a microphone that could move at all. Yeah. Um, so yeah, around that time, people were kind of st- straying away from uh, uh, moving cam- camera moves and stuff like that. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I think of other like 1932 horror films like Murders in the Rue Morgue. Uh, Island of Lost Souls, White Zombie, you're not really seeing the kind of graceful gliding that's going on in Freaks. No, it's a lot like, of stationary, like, stage sets kind of deal. Yeah, absolutely. Whereas this has, like, the realism of being, like, a... Uh, like, I don't know if he actually shot this on location at a no, circus no. tent setup, or what? Did no, he just... No. Um, I, I'm gonna check, but I, there, I don't think it could have been shot on... Because it's because it's, it's yeah it's, no it was shot on the MGM lot. Gotcha, but the it's it's pretty convincingly looks like, um, yeah. you know, like a back lot because a lot of it's not like even indoors. Like some of it, a lot of time is on like these, you know, the, just this d- pile of dirt that they've set their tents up and set their carts up on and yeah, stuff like or that. Or even like I, the, the the scene where things go down, like the murder scene, like where it's just pouring rain and they're going through all the muck and the oh, and mud. it's like a fucking chase scene. Yeah, it's yeah. like moving cars yeah. and shit. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> fantastic. It's worth noting that the movie had two production designers, uh, one of whom would go on to do Singing in the Rain and Wizard of Oz, and oh. the other one would go on to do North by Northwest. Damn. So as far as set construction goes, they were in good hands with this one. Yes, they were. Wow. But yeah, I think I think that, like, you know, the fact that he spends, like, 45 minutes to 50 minutes of this film just sitting you down with the daily routines of these people who otherwise, you know, would never have a movie made about them. It kind of reminded me a little bit when we were talking about with uh, CJ Prince, we did uh, Female Trouble. Remember the argument I made to you about Female Trouble was that it was very clear that John Waters is very um, 
a part of this community and he right. saw these weird mm. people that he wanted to make a movie about. Yeah. Todd Browning, now with the context that Perry's let us know that he was in part of a traveling circus, like that's very clearly what Todd Browning is is aiming for here. And you can really feel the warmth and the fondness for these people, despite the fact that, again, he doesn't really give them anything other than he gives them the chance to be in a Hollywood melodrama. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A, people who just don't look like they would ever belong in a Hollywood melodrama based on the way that that industry works. Um, and so the reason why the, the, the ending and its pivot to horror and we mean like real horror when it pivots to horror, like the violence really goes up the, the final images (laughs) of, of them bringing the strong man, the big strong man down to their level and having him, in the mud with them as they crawl towards him. And even seeing the dude, the, uh, like the armless and the legless dude with a, with knife, a knife in his, in mouth, his mouth, crawling yeah. towards through, him and stuff. Through the mud too. There's like something about that image where it's like, he's so dedicated yeah. to like, he, you know, he's, he's, he's going to get there. up his face. He's, you know, he's in there and like, there's something so frightening about And those, that. those early shots too, of before they realize what's happening and uh, Cleo's just like kind of like walking around outside and then she notices like two of them are watching beneath Under the, the steps in yeah. the shadowy lighting and stuff like that. And, or, it, and oh, it's I completely love, silent, just people watching. Love the shots of the uh, the one um, the one smaller guy. He, he takes out like a pocket knife and then mm-hmm. starts like rubbing it. And then it goes to the legless dude that, that walks with his arms and he takes out a gun out of his tuxedo <laughs> yeah. and he like shines it and shit. I was, this is like, that's like gangster stuff right yeah. there. That was crazy. Yeah. No, they're, they're, they're going, well, and, and that I think is, is really clear to me with what he's going for because the guy who pulls the gun out of his tuxedo, he's very clearly <laughs> leaning into an image. Yes. Absolutely. Which, yeah. which I think is what's Without really important because what's so tragic and unsettling is that they are playing into the exact imagery that people are scared of them for. It's right. not just that, like, you know, they are this. It is like, they were like, no, you think we're this, so we will be this. Yeah, yeah, they'll be that to destroy you. Exactly. So yeah. it, it, there's, there's almost, like, this sense of, like, self-actualization that comes from when this turns to horror. And it's like, so if, if you are going to treat them like monsters and belittle them and hurt them and impoverish them, it's like, what choices are they really left with at that point yeah it's like we might as well just become what they think we are right um and, and it, it's worth noting and I turn them the, into the, us which is eventually what they yeah. decide to do with hercules and with uh yeah. cleo by turning her into like a like legless like, yeah, like a, person a, a chicken woman <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah like the announcer at the end he even says something along the lines of uh like it was the code of the freaks or something like that which is yeah. a little bit insulting just to call them freaks at the end of there but it you know Obviously, the announcer would be using that kind of that, that kind of language, but to recognize a little bit that even like that character recognized that they were doing that out of a kind mm-hmm. of a, a vengeful oppression, you know, like it, it's it's at least it recognized by other people that that's the story. It's not just like it didn't end with people thinking that they were just straight up crazy, you know, <laughs> circus performers that just killed some girl. You know, yeah. you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Yeah, like it, it's it's very clear that Todd Browning knew exactly what he was doing, and that people weren't ready for it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that audiences yeah. just weren't the, the 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 vocabulary of the way that we communicated ideas through film was not ready for someone to watch the Hollywood couple be monsters that got murdered for being monsters by people who look different and in a way Uh that translates into, you know, just even deeper ideas beyond the literal of, 
you know, just otherizing people in general. I mean, a lot of people at the time, too, who did like the film, because of the Great Depression, they read it as a class conflict thing. Yeah. Because it was, like, the, oh, okay. it was around the time that, like, the uh, they had, like, the biggest financial crash that right. uh, they had ever had. Um, and a lot of the poorest people were being viewed in that way as, as, as inhuman and dirty, and you didn't want to spend your time with them. So some people read it that way. And then, you know, the history of this also in just sort of, like, normalizing certain disabilities and the way that uh so like this is the way that people have studied this and the way that this has lasted means that this is like uh, was far beyond its time when it came out oh yeah oh yeah people people were finally ready to start talking about it in the 60s so (laughs) (laughs) that's nuts wow um yeah, so, and it, it's it's a shame how it was received. It's definitely a shame that we can't find the full version of it. Yeah. I mean, you can find the full screenplay out there pretty easily, but the the actual film sequences, the people have been looking for years. I mean, you never know what you can find. I mean, it wasn't like the passion of Jonah Arc found in the closet in like a, a nursing home or something. Yeah, it was. Yeah, well, yeah. So, like you never you never know. Maybe I could be like living on top of the last reels of freaks or something. If I know <laughs> it, but. Yeah, For I now, just, I mean, what we have is still incredible. Oh, yeah. And I, I just want to see that footage of that guy roll that, that tobacco cigarette with only his mouth so badly. Because, I mean, <laughs> just him lighting it was unbelievable. But uh, what are you going to do? All right. Well, it's almost 100 years old. <laughs> pivoting into the reductive rating round. For me, this one's going get, to get a, a really strong to, to, to high for. Um, I, I do feel like the thing holding me back is that is the studio shoehorned last one minute where they do try to really forgive Hans and say that it's not his fault. Yeah, I was Um, talking about that in the beginning. Which is, is, again, just a way that they're trying to limit how grotesque he gets because, again, you're meant to empathize with him. And people didn't empathize because they thought that he got too gross when he did the murders and he led a rebellion to kill the normal people. And, and Um, and, and, And to me, that is really besides the point. Um, and it, I under, I mean, it's understandable that the studio ended up doing what they, they, they did. They caved to the audience reaction, but I imagine the five star version of this film is in that lost footage. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I gotta say like Frida is just such a, oh, she's such a caring character and to have Hans, it did suck a little bit. Like there's even a scene where she says something like, like, I don't care if he leaves me for you, blah, 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 I just want him to be happy. Like, that's yeah. that's true love, you know what I mean? Like, there's some true love that she has for him. And then that ending scene just kind of irks me a little bit because I'm like, you don't deserve her. <laughs> well, and, yeah. and, 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 and for me, honestly, it's just what she says. It's what yeah. it, it's when she says, you didn't know that they were going to do that, and you. And it's not Even your fault. Even though she spends the whole movie, like, warning him and telling him that that's going to happen. No, I, I mean, like, th- that they were going to be, like, as violent. Like, she's oh, basically absol- oh, absolving him for his role in turning uh, Hercules into a castrating falsetto man that we didn't get to see, unfortunately, (laughs) (laughs) and and turning Cleo into uh, a bird girl. Chicken lady, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, I I do wish that even if they just didn't include that line, I would be a little bit more forgiving because I do think it's really important that they, they did commit the violence and it is gross and it is icky, but you are meant to identify with the people who are doing it and i think that that a movie doing something like that came out in 1932 is kind of what i really 
yeah. care about when I I watch this film. So yeah, that one line where they try to walk it back a little bit, I'm like, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that, man. Yeah, it's okay. I, I completely agree. I'm but yeah, also, other than that, for everything that we've said already, like again, the way that it it, it tackles um, uh, these these people who otherwise wouldn't get a film, these people who are dis- I mean, it tackles disability better than most films coming out today tackle disability. Absolutely. Uh, there are some really horrifying films about disability. <laughs> you, I remember you watching one with the. It's the girl from um, the girl Amelia Game Clark. Amelia Clark did <laughs> yeah. one recently that was Uh-oh. basically like basically a remake of Beauty and the Beast. But, oh no! But like the guys in a wheelchair. But the guys in a wheelchair, which is what his beast side is and she basically helps him commit suicide so she can take all of his money it's so <laughs> fucking, I, like the way that you explain that movie makes me just want to watch it because that sounds so unbelievable you know like, yeah it, it, like, it literally is the guy is playing the rich dude in the <laughs> castle who has an infliction and the infliction is is that he's paralyzed yeah and that's what makes him beastly and yeah. so they lesser. so they dealt with things better oh, in no. 32 <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't remember what that movie was called, but it was awful. Uh, I do. It few- is me before you. Oh, it is. That is it. <laughs> so, like, again, that movie came out in 2016, and it has worse ideas about the humanity of disabled people than this film that came out in 1932, which has one of the most moving depictions of it by just showing you that they just want to live a normal dignified life they just want to be able to have the same kind of silly melodrama romance story that any other person would have um and you know again and be allowed to be an asshole be allowed to be an imperfect person they also don't need to be like this shining example of humanity the fact that todd browning was also like yeah they aren't perfect people they're also gonna make you know maybe bad decisions and maybe also do some bad things at the same time but it's like it's all justified in this kind of sympathy and this warmth and this fondness that that he clearly has for these people that he um grew up with so to do that and then to pivot to this just exceptional final 10 minute horror sequence which is again among the best horror that uh I've also seen from the thirties as well. So, um, it, m- much better in my opinion, horror imagery than he even pulled off in Dracula. So, which is like considered oh, yeah. an all timer horror classic. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. All, all of Todd Browning's, uh, carnival films, which there are quite a few are all just like, I, I like some of his other work, but it's clear that's where he's really turned on. Like, um, if you like freaks, I recommend the unknown, Mm. Uh, by him, which is a movie where Lon Chaney plays a supposedly armless knife thrower uh, who throws knives with his feet. The twist being that he actually does have real arms, uh, <laughs> and he uses those arms to commit murders, and he will not be suspected because he doesn't have arms. It's That's it's a long story. Awesome. Anyways, that movie is like it's beautiful and strange and and weird. And I I know people love Dracula, but when you go between like that and Freaks. Then you watch Dracula, it's like, ah, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. All right, but for you, Um, Jamie. Yeah, I'm also going to give it a four. This was one of, uh, if not my first uh, really old film. Um, I heard about it through some, like, uh, cult film forum or something like that. So it was something I could actually watch before this show started, which was was exciting. So when you brought it on, Perry, I was really excited about it. Yeah. Um, And, uh, yeah, I just, I love the way that they... uh, that they that they show the uh, the performers. There's a lot of humanity and empathy, and um, one particular scene I enjoy. Like he he even got some of them to to act. Like there was 
one of the uh, the shorter ladies, uh, she couldn't speak any like real language. It seemed like it was just kind of noises. And there's a whole scene where uh, she interacts with uh, the clown, and it's just very heartwarming. And you can tell that there's some genuine friendship there. And I like that he that Todd actually got them to uh, to to do some acting. It was it was really uh, cool and and heartwarming at times. Um, and yeah, and then of course, once it takes that dark turn, man, that image of her as a as a chicken lady has <laughs> has just burned into my brain forever. So, yeah, it's it's fantastic. Highly oh, yeah. recommend. And uh, yeah, hopefully yeah, that footage is it. out there where they cut her in half. <laughs> really? It's it's is that? No, I said I was saying hopefully because clearly that's what they do. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. She's got yeah, like, her they... bottom half is a complete like feathered yeah. chicken butt or some <laughs> shit. It's crazy. It's crazy. But yeah, I, I'll I'll give it a four. Um, yeah, I'm going to give it a four for the same reasons as, uh, you two, uh, in that I think it is, there's a five star film hidden to the depths of time, <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. that unfortunately quite there, but what is there is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just one of the most exciting films of the thirties, regardless of genre, regardless of director, country, whatever. I think it's an incredible movie. Um, and I think about a lot. I mean, there are movies that I might like more, like fr- from the thirties, but I don't know. I think about freaks probably more than anything else from the decades. So yeah, I agree. that must, that must count for something. Absolutely. Hell yeah. I was actually trying to think about what, a, what, what thirties films I might think about as much. I, I guess maybe like M. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. M's got, you gotta love M of, of the universal monsters. I really like uh, bride of Frankenstein, but other than that, uh, this one's up there for me for sure. Yeah, I definitely I have think, a, more of a blind spot, but I, I love this movie. I think the only one that rivals it for like amount of times I am thinking of sequences from it is like the blood of a poet or something mm. or like one oh, of the early surrealist Perry, shorts. But have you seen the black cat yet? I forgot that the black cat. I have not seen the black cat yet. Black cat. Yeah, I listened to you and Mike talk nuts. about it. Oh, we, yeah, we, yeah, we were, we were, we were stoked about, uh, yeah. stoked about the, the black cat. Now I'm just thinking about all the thirties movies I like. So before we go too far here, also only <laughs> angels have wings. Sorry. Yeah, I'm, done. So I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> we're done. We're <laughs> done. Uh, but that was freaks from 1932 directed by Todd Browning. We are going to be right back and we are going to be talking about, uh, maybe uh, a hell of a film. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Perry's going to have to take the helm on this one. I yeah, think. Yeah, it's, Perry, it's the most normal movie ever made. Yeah, Por- <laughs> Perry's going to have to explain himself a little bit on this one with the pairing. Because the circus setting, I see it. Uh, oh, man. Some other content. You of thought the Freaks next film. was dark. <laughs> Just you wait, folks. We are going to be talking about a little film called Midori from 1992. So you'll want to stay tuned for that conversation. For yes, sure. you will. <laughs> I, I can't believe I got. <laughs> I'm so shocked. So 
You know what? That's good. Let's start there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's no traditional intro. Welcome, okay. welcome back, folks. We are talking Midori, the uh, 1992 uh, animated horror psychedelic thing. <laughs> erotic. Erotic. I'm not sure if I'd call it erotic. Yeah, totally that's sexual. But yeah, that's true. That's true. Hey, I'm, I'm pretty sure you use the word erotic in your review. Yeah, I do. So there, I did. all right. I there you go. <laughs> then, I, then I am right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it 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 kind of defies genre in a lot of ways for me beyond uh, being a really goddamn scary anime object. That's yeah, absolutely and, uh, horrifying. I, from I think start I'll let Perry go go from here because he might have to introduce uh, the filmmaker here, Hiroshi Harada. Because I don't know much about him. Uh, so before I introduce Hiroshi Harada, I'm going to talk about the 1920s for a second, uh, where I'm going to talk about two right. different things. <laughs> uh, sorry, we're getting a lecture. Um, I like it. The first is the artistic movement of Irogudo Nonsensu, which literally means erotic, grotesque nonsense. Uh, and the second is the art form of Kamishibai. Uh, so first on Irogudo Nonsensu, um, it's kind of the best Western um, equivalent is like the French decadent movement, where you have lots of stories and lots of art about just nasty, filthy, transgressive stuff to sort of Purge taboo from culture. Uh, so in Irogura art, uh, a lot of violence, a lot of sex, constant hedonism, um, weird sadomasochistic rituals and murders. And uh, if you've ever seen um, In the Realm of the Senses. Yes. Uh, which, yes. Okay. So like this. <laughs> in, this in, the, in, in some unfortunate ways. Yes. <laughs> yes. So the incident that's based on, like the Sada Abe incident, where a woman uh, strangled and castrated her lover, uh, is like, that's like a rallying point for post-30s Edo So that's kind of what the genre is all about. It's sex and violence and transgression, usually without much of a plot or through line, <laughs> just to to shock the system, basically. Um You'll see films like uh, Horrors of Malformed Men is a really good example of an Edelgardo film. Uh, Strange Circus, the Sion Sono movie, is a more contemporary one. Uh, people like Edogawa Rampo, the amazing Japanese mystery writer, did Edelgardo stuff. Um, a lot of what we consider really depraved uh, hentai usually <laughs> can fit into Irogudo, yeah. uh, like er- Erotsukadoji. Okay, yeah, I wasn't gonna say it, but now now that now that it's been brought up, you can uh, you know anyone who wants to check out, feel free. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, but 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 if, uh, but if you can make it, you should stick around because uh, th- this yeah. this goes I, to some interesting places. But I understand well, that that. You know, some of that is not, uh, it, you know, it's not not capable for some people. You know what? That's that's a good point. They, seriously, take the content warning seriously on this. <laughs> we're going to talk about some real fucking it was, not fun stuff. It was interesting because when I went on Letterboxd before I watched it, a lot of people do respect this movie. But it's funny because most of the time if I go on something that's really uh, controversial, it's kind of like you see the twos, you see the threes, you see the fours. This one was just fours and fives and then ones and half stars. <laughs> like it's either, it was so polar. And uh, 
And one of the people that I saw was just like, this is the most repulsive movie I've ever seen. I couldn't enjoy a single second of it. <laughs> so that is out there. But then there's also plenty of people that, that really respect it. So Yeah, so like that's, yeah. that's kind of like what we're dealing with here. And I did find it really funny because when I was logging it, and I was logging it with a like because I did like it, um, someone that follows me, uh, had logged a review. I was scrolling through a couple of the reviews and it was like, if you liked this, you need to go to therapy. And, I was, and so I was thinking about so that I person while I was liking the, I was like, maybe they're not wrong. I don't know. We'll find out. Oh, I mean, it's almost certainly true. But it's not necessarily a bad thing. But there you go. So oh, Perry, you've, you've given us the context uh, for the existence of this sort of weird, yeah. grotesque, that's, that's sexual genre. Uh, and then the story is basically to make it fast. Kamishibai is like paper theater performed in the streets. And one of the popular Kamishibai stories is about the Camilla girl who is a young orphan who is brought into a freak show uh, where she is forced to perform and she is uh, abused by the people at the freak show. So now we flash forward uh, to like the 70s and the 80s. We introduce this artist, Suhiro Maro, who is like a modern Irogoro artist. Uh, and he does a manga that is called uh, The Camilla Girl, uh, which is an adaptation of that Kamishibai story. But Suhiro Maru is mostly known for very grotesque art and very pornographic art. Uh, so his adaptation of The Camilla Girl is, of course, <laughs> filled with uh, sex and violence and some very mind-bleaching uh, imagery. Uh and it, the Camilla Girl is available in English under the title Mr. Rashi's Amazing Freak Show. It's kind of a minor cult manga. Uh, and now let's introduce the man of the hour, Hiroshi Harada. <laughs> uh, Hiroshi Harada was an animator who was very unhappy with how uh, the anime industry works, where he felt that artists weren't really able to fully express themselves. Uh, and he made this one movie all by himself, this short called The Death Lullaby. And The Death Lullaby went over very well. And I think, I let me get the name. There's a very famous uh, artist that really took The Death Lullaby. Oh, whatever. The point is that someone at a festival loved it. And that encouraged him to make a longer work all by himself. So over the course of five years... Hiroshi Hirata animated uh, an adaptation of The Camilla Girl. Uh, he did it all by hand. It's all it's just one dude making this whole movie. And when it was complete, it was one of the most grotesque animated things ever put to film. And he had a very special way of showing it, uh, which is why the film isn't widely available. Well, one of the reasons why. The other reason is it's banned fucking everywhere. Um, <laughs> Uh, but what he wanted to do is he wanted it to be like an interactive screening. And what he did with that is the film, you had to see it on a film print. It did not play in theaters. It played at underground pop-ups that would travel with circus performers around <laughs> the towns. They would leave cryptic flyers in the towns and set up instructions on like dolls that are placed around the town with arrows pointing that would lead to like underground chambers you'd have to go through to get <laughs> to the theater. 
That's awesome. <laughs> it, it's amazing. And there's like interactive things. The, the, this have... also sounds like the scariest possible setting in which to see this film. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh my so God. You travel through all these like cryptic clues and you finally get down to a basement. And in this basement, there are a bunch of circus performers and like fire breathers. And then this movie starts playing. And 56 minutes later, um, you are in a very bad place mentally and there are still circus performers all around you. And then you sort of stumble out of the theater in a daze and the next day it's all gone. Like it was never there in the first place. So this is very much committed to being a multimedia, multi something experience, uh, with the film as a center point. Uh, and I'll talk more about, some of the reasons why the film can't be seen widely when we actually talk about the movie. Uh, it's probably not what you're expecting. Um, but basically Hiroshi Hirata was very against the film screening in any context other than these special pop-ups. Uh, a French DVD was eventually released in 2006 with English and Spanish subtitles and French subtitles. And, um, and that, that was the copy eight, I assumed we yeah, all watched. That's the copy we watched. There are eight minutes missing. Uh, but it, the plot is still pretty one to one to the original manga. So, do you know what is missing in the those eight minutes? I do not actually. Okay, I've done a lot of reading on it, Just and curious. I, I no, I I don't know. Yeah, I, I was some... I was gonna say it, it seem it seems pretty uh, complete watching oh, it. Oh yeah, like I like I don't know like it, it's not yeah, like Freaks sure. where they cut away. Uh, right from like what you feel like is like the peak of the scariness. Oh, and they should don't. And, 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 and then it, and then it cuts to this like clearly shoehorned in ending. Yeah. You know, so like when it when it does that, I'm like, oh, there's stuff missing from this film. Right. Whereas yeah. when I watch this, I feel like like it it opens strongly and it ends very strongly. So you know, I oh, was yeah. I, I'm not sure where the missing footage would even fit in. Yeah, I I, I completely agree with you. Unless it's just more crazy imagery just, yeah they're just like it here's more probably. of the, the circus performers just doing crazy ass sex shit uh, I, I know like licking that, an eyeball li- oh, oh oh there sure is eyeball licking um <laughs> french kisses I the hell a, out a, of little, a little a little too much eyeball licking for my, <laughs> for, my taste. for my taste honestly but i i, I, I thought was there was just impressed. enough eyeball licking actually yeah, yeah. yeah just right for you <laughs> just right. right for me <laughs> I, I did like that it it has a sort of unique kind of animation that they did that it, from what I understand it is just like still drawings that were filmed which I mean I guess is technically how they did animation sort yeah. of when they yes. when they did it but he holds on the still images longer like a yeah. lot of it is like it's not like Akira right like it's it's very no oh no there's, yeah. there, there's not like a fluid motion to the way that he moves through the different images right. it's it's kind of like you know in the same way that there would be like 60 frames for someone to mm-hmm. make a movement in an actual traditionally animated film. He instead has like two frames and he like fades yeah. into the next one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the, the most you'll get is like, if it's windy, the trees will go on like a three frame per second loop. Yeah. But for the most part, <laughs> animation is very minimal. Uh, most of it is done with panning and zooming across these very uniquely drawn and colored cells. Right. Yes, um, and it's it's very cool images. But since since we are talking around it, yes. I feel like we got to get 
the but plot. Before we go too too much further here, we do have to tell the people what it's about. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So Perry, uh, I think we'll let you go this because I just don't want to say some of these words. I just don't want to have them on record coming out of my mouth. So okay. Go. Okay. So so here's your uh, here's your content warning for sexual assault. Uh, I mean that 100 percent seriously. If you don't want to hear stuff about that, I get it. The movie's full of it. Yeah. Um. So Midori is a movie about a young girl, a Camilla girl named Midori. Her parents are dead. Uh, she sells flowers in Tokyo. A man comes up to her and says he can bring her somewhere safe. Uh, where she is actually brought to is his circus, which is inhabited by a, uh, a, a bunch of different like circus performers uh, who are like classical circus freak archetypes. You have like a, a guy with no arms. You have like a, a fire spitter, uh, a sword swallower, um, and then they basically use her as like a sex object, uh, and she's repeatedly abused by them. And then eventually, they get a magician who practices Western style magic to show up at this freak show, and he uh, stands up to her, stands up for her. Uh, and protects her from the other freak show people. But uh, he also has, he's like 50 something and he's trying to form a relationship with her. And long story short, nothing good happens to anybody. And it's a miserable experience and you'll feel bad watching it. And that's (laughs) the Midori. Like the story is so minimal. What I covered is basically the entire plot of the entire (laughs) six minute thing. Yeah, essentially. Um, yeah, it, it, it is. It, the, it, the, the majority of the movie is honestly just this young girl being like, wow, my situation kind of sucks. I kind of wish it was a little bit better. And, and then constantly someone comes up and says, hey, I can make your situation a little bit better. Come on, come and, on by. And, and then and, they lie. And every single time they're lying. <laughs> every yeah, single and the time. thing is, too, like, there's no. There, I thought that there was going to be kind of an ease into the carnival and then maybe no. the, the crazy abuse would start. The moment she walks into the tent. They start to abuse her. Like yes. there's not yeah. even a second of exchanging names. Anything. Yeah, probably like, one just... one thing because I watched this like I finished Freaks, credits rolled. I queued this up. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Is that why you seem so tired today? Is this your your brain. Yeah, and so the the thing that struck me most is is you're right within like six minutes of the film because it, it dives in really fast to her because like i mean she's selling flowers there's this really moody kind of like synth based score these really sort of grotesque images of oh, like, yeah of these disfigured still images um but then there's kind of like this this emotional yearning with the score that she has she's looking at the moon there's these really rich blues and colors and and you know when this guy tells her, look, if you ever need help, I'll buy all your flowers and I have a safe space that you can stay in. Um, and she only turns to that because she goes home and talks to her mother about it. And her mother is being eaten by fucking rats. Yeah, yeah. her mother the is a decomposing corpse and there's a rat in her vagina and it's eating yeah. her from the inside. <laughs> Yep. Yes. So here's uh, the and and that's four minutes into the film. Five yeah. minutes into the film, she's at the circus. She <laughs> walks by notes minute by minute. By yeah, the way, <laughs> she she walks into the tent, and the first thing is you see all these different 
you know, these, these, you know, the, the, what would be the main characters of freaks, these people who yeah. just thought, Hey, these people are nice people. That's they're, they're They have real humanity to them. Yeah. And then within literally 30 seconds, the dude, there is a torso guy here too. Yeah. And I was just thinking, Hey, the, I really like the torso guy from freaks. <laughs> yeah. He He's crawling right. towards her and he is, uh, tonguing her in the vagina. <laughs> rape style within five seconds of her like walking into the tent (laughs) yeah yeah there's no time uh Uh, and it was a really unfortunate image and it it, it holds the images for a decent amount of time that you're going please cut please cut to something else i just cannot (laughs) imagine going straight from freaks to this because (laughs) that 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 contrast is crazy because the, yeah. this movie doesn't even this attempt movie to sympathize into the with, with the performances yeah. the, or the, the performers. Midori does not care about the humanity of anybody. No. Um, Midori really. is very clearly, it has a base character who is like, okay, here's our, our nice person, our audience surrogate. <laughs> Every other person, no matter who they are, is just going to do terrible things. Yeah, uh, it's not a complicated plot. It's not a plot I would turn to for any commentary on anything worthwhile, and I would be worried if you did. Well, see, um, that's actually <laughs> the, the thing I was gonna ask was like, as I was watching it, I, I mean, you know, just the visceral experience itself is something to behold, obviously. But I was kind of at the end of it going, besides just maybe what this is is horrible, and we shouldn't do it as a, as humans. What else is he trying to get at? You oh, know? absolutely nothing. Okay, absolutely gotcha. Nothing. Well, that's that's um, good. I'm glad I didn't you yeah, know, misread. Uh, the <laughs> thing with Midori and the thing with Tsuhiro Maru's uh, work in general, which Hiroshi Hirata is adapting here, is he has these very basic plots of like standard, well, not standard, more extreme than standard horror setups. Sure. And then we'll just use them as an excuse to get images to just sear your brain like okay. very standard goal of we're going to get images that are going to stick with you uh and are gonna like break through your mental defenses <laughs> and yeah, I, well i mean on 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 that sense it works i mean like the opening oh, images yeah. where they're like you know someone's like biting a chicken's eye out and, and yeah then, and those are like unrelated to anything in the film it seems like mm-hmm. these are mostly like just kind of setting the tone on an image level yeah, like it's symbolically the yeah, yeah. And then even, dude, I was having, the first five minutes of this, I was having really tough time uh, starting notes because the first part is just like a montage of all the performers that are just in these like insanely detailed, grotesque images that I just did not have the time to like write, write them all down. Them. Yeah, like just, I, I actually paused it brain. frame by frame to write down some of the images. Wow, that's killer. Uh, there's a lizard magician. There's a fry, mm-hmm. fire-breathing woman holding an umbrella. There's a woman devouring a snake. Um, there's there's the, a woman in like a tub with a bunch of snakes, totally nude. Yeah, sitting in a in like a oh. barrel covered yeah. in like snake slash noodles. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's the invisible man, like bandage wrap looking dude, who's really I guess just like the armless dude. Yeah. Um, but then the lines of of dialogue are like dog boiled in cauldron of hell, monster yeah. child Speaking in many dogs. huge swaddling clothes, sever he- severed head boiled with bulrushes. Blood spurts from bulwark. Like Cannibal Corpse lyrics. (laughs) Jugglers, balls enclosing lullabies. Mother mourned, balls torn apart. Hammer smashed face. (laughs) Yeah, it's... The 
the opening minute or so of that montage is actually pretty good viewing instructions on how to take in the rest of the film as just it's basically a very slowed down montage of these images uh, for the next 40 something minutes. Right. Yeah. And I, I think the thing I go back to a lot when talking about El Gilo and talking about uh, Suhiro Maru's work in this film is Maru's, uh, the image he returns to again and again is someone holding open an eyeball and licking it, yeah. um, which appears in this film multiple times. <clears throat> and it appears in most of his works. Uh, and it's a pretty, it's a Bataille thing too. I'm pretty sure Story of the Eye has that. Well, do you know what? That feels like uh, the experience of watching this film. I feel like the film exactly. reached out and licked my goddamn like, eyeball. For 45 <laughs> minutes. Exactly. It's licking your eyeball for it's 40 really fucking minutes. uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and oh my god. Basically, to go off of the earlier description of the plot as like something nice is going to happen to Midori and then something bad happens uh, that's disproportionately bad. By the end of the first 10 minutes, you're introduced to Midori talking to, like, three cute pet dogs. Uh, <laughs> no, and then... No. As soon as I saw that fucking dog, I already knew... The, the thing about this film it's is so within adorable. the five, first five minutes, you know the tone. So when I saw that she was hiding puppies, I'm like, it's, it's over. Like, yeah. this thing is dead. <laughs> it's fucking uh, gone. <laughs> the, so the first image I ever saw this film, and the film that... The, the image that introduced me to Midori and to Tsuhiro Maru and made me want to never see this movie, um, <laughs> which, of course, that did not end up happening, yeah. uh, is there's one frame of, like, one of the circus performers stomps on a dog. Yep. And there's, like, intestines and vomit and blood everywhere. And it's, like, a plain white background. And... I, I don't know how to explain this movie other than the imagery in it and the way it's presented. I'm pretty jaded when it comes to movies and art. I'm pretty desensitized, I guess. Every time I yeah, see we're, this... Yeah, we're getting I, pretty I, hard to shock around here, yeah, too. I found yeah. some images in this pretty shocking. Yeah, oh, every time sure. I see this, I like I want to cry. Like, it fucking hurts me. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's like... It, because the detail is unbelievable. Like it, none of it is implied. It's it's all oh. shown. Every bone crunching. Every I mean, and then afterwards they they fucking eat it in eat front of dog, her. Yeah. In front of her. Like it's just yeah. like it's it's nonstop cruelty. Yeah, I mean, and like I, I, a good way. I mean, to be fair, they they kind of set you up for that scene in the chapter heading because it is broken oh, yeah. into chapters, and the chapter heading for that particular chapter is called patience and submission oh yeah which is kind of what again you kind of have to have when you when when you're watching this a little bit yeah yeah because i did see some people thought that you know uh uh, some people were describing it as kind of like like dull and i don't think that that's the right word (laughs) i would yeah i would definitely disagree with that it's not dull but it can be mind-numbing yes i would but i I would say that it did test my patience a little bit Mm -hmm. in the in the sense that like i was sitting there going this is this it's so much oh (laughs) yeah for sure it's 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 so upsetting and clearly intentionally upsetting and finger poking uh like in the eyeballs of yes uh and you know it does have imagery and almost, um, you know, a 
almost like a kaleidoscopic like nightmare quality to it for sure yes and it's also trying to shock you simultaneously Well, because they also start to go in and out of reality because once that magician comes he does these extremely detailed illusions to the point yes. where to the point where at one point the audience thinks that they're becoming like grotesque alien monsters yeah. and stuff like that I- so, I'd say probably the best animated scene in the movie oh, is yeah. the, the magician is being heckled. The magician's thing is he's a guy who his whole trick is he can make it look like he can shrink so he can fit inside of a bottle. Um, and he's doing his trick and getting heckled by the crowd. And he – the exact – I forget the exact quote, but something like deform and die. Um <laughs> Which yeah. he yells. No, and he, okay, wait. Just, he he, sh- he calls them all lazy, greedy cowards because huh? they were sort of like gawking at him and waiting for him to do his trick. And he basically goes like full carry on their ass yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> at, at an audience of people. But the line that he actually has is he says, change your shapes and become deformed. Yes. Is what he screams um, at them. <laughs> and the montage, I mean, I, I, I've I, seen it many times and it's still like, Jesus Christ, what's going on? Like people's heads turning into like brains that turn to penises. Yeah, people's intestines are exploding. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's, a, there's a man who becomes impregnated with intestinal worms that explode yeah. out of him. Yeah, there, there's, there's also a baby the- Nazi. I don't know if you noticed yeah, that one. Notice Did you notice that. the baby Nazi? Yeah, <laughs> <there's> <laughs> the baby Nazi. <laughs> Oh god, that's funny. The uh, uh, the one image that that really stuck with me was when I think uh, I don't know if it's the the same audience montage, but it's uh it's when one of the uh, performers uh oh it's it's when the one performer shows uh, Midori that that uh, that she's actually a a, a guy. And so she shows up. He shows oh, up. Right, his penis. the the like sort of like trans right. coworker. And then it cuts to this more surreal, abstract image of it, and he has the penis, and it's like t- like twelve feet long, and it's wrapped around her neck, and there's fire in the background, and it's just like turns into so like a bizarre. like a like a weird art piece for a second yeah, yeah. and you don't know if it's like and it goes in and out of that you, you all don't the know time. if like she's going fucking crazy right or like or if it's the actual reality of what's happening yeah part of it is like is it like there is there is magic and there is weird shit happening but also is it like just the fractured psyche of someone who has had this like level of violence right. dealt on them because they even mention the audience after they get all deformed that they 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 report in the film they're like all of the audience members went back to normal yeah so i don't <laughs> yeah. know if that implies that they just their minds went back to normal or if their bodies literally fucking deformed for 10 oh. minutes and then went back the, the movie is definitely from the subjective point of view of Midori. Yes. Yeah. Um, like the ending is all – the ending, which is, is heartbreaking for me. Oh, yeah. Uh, is just like, yeah, she's finally snapped and she's envisioning all this. But the film in general, it, it just does such a great job of putting you in the headspace of everything in this world is dangerous and scary. Yeah. <laughs> because – yeah, ev- everything you see in Midori is dangerous and scary, and it is exhausting and it is punishing to watch. Honestly, like it, it drains you. And yeah, th- th- there's only so many like melted faces and like eyes popping out of people's skulls, and like everyone turning into just like a like a, an art piece of like mutilated meat before mm-hmm. you kind of go, "What the fuck? What yeah, the fuck?" Like, it's just insane. <laughs> yeah. It's totally alien. Yeah. 
Yeah, but the the and like, do you watch the thing about this movie too? Is that as you're watching these images, you know, it's kind of taking it out of you, and then not only that, but you're watching like Midori. That's what the movie basically is. She starts with very little hope, but some, and by the end of the film, she's left in a white room with a stick, and that's that's it. You yeah, know what I mean, the, so the, it's like the end. You're depleting yourself, and then you're also watching this character get depleted. Well, the and, and time. It, it, yeah. it, it also helps that it, it cuts between this really gross, like it, it moves to these really grotesque horror sequences. And when it's not doing that, it's like Midori is like trying to think of a way out. Like, like I, I think of like the shot, for example, of like when like the the synth score like really takes off, and she's watching like a train right yeah. off and and she does like, that like, over and over again too like like those moments really stick out because it, it really gets you into the feeling of like midori yearning for literal escape yeah of, of getting out of this situation and that's what makes the final chapter which is called under the cherry blossom uh so kind of um like in tune with that is, this is also where that feels like the animation gets a little bit more like it moves a bit more, at least the oh, way yeah. that they film it. I don't know if it's more just like panning that they do, mm-hmm. but it at least well, feels I, a little more. I also think he was trying to get them. a little dreamier with it. Yeah, for sure. Um, so it gets way more surreal as the because film it's goes. like the nicest thing finally happens, which is that again, and in the context of nice, we're talking about like a weird fifty-year-old man is Being like nice to her. Will be like, yeah, I'll I'll take you away from this creepy and pretty circus. Much he even mentions uh, if like, you'll have sex with me, you child. Yeah, <laughs> essentially, it's like she goes from being owned by the circus to being owned by this magician so but it's not but, much but at least she kind of likes him i guess is the yeah, idea yeah. is that There's she's just like there. he's interesting he does a funny show i kind of like being yeah. a part of his show and we you know we we talk to each other he's not terrible to me right like that's it the bare minimum for her is here's a guy who like just doesn't rape me yeah is yeah. like exactly like the bar for her right and when they decide that you know she is going to actually like escape with him and she gives and uh, he gives her these visions before they do of like this black and white, like old school still photography of Tokyo that she yeah, animatedly it, runs through this like still photography and then is reunited with her parents and is talking about like cake and school. And he's conjured this fantasy of being like, we can return to normalcy. I can take you away from here and we will go back to Tokyo and we'll try to like bring bring you back to your life before you uh, got picked up and enslaved in the rape circus. Yeah. Um, but the sequence where, like, um, she goes, it's not a dream, it's not a dream, we're really doing this, they even wave goodbye to her, and she doesn't even hate them anymore because she's finally leaving all the circus people behind, yep. Yeah. Um, and they are, they go to catch a train, and the magician goes to go and get some food for them, and he just gets gutted by, like, this random thief, Yeah. and, and then you find out that, I mean, I had a hard time kind of following a like maybe literally what was happening. I yeah, thought a little I, bit. I, I couldn't figure I out I if like gist, but. maybe because he died, the illusion went away. Yes. Uh, is that sort of like what happened? Like he was leading hey. her into an illusion the entire well, time. What happens is that the, the, their, their ride they were going to take goes off and then she like senses that he's dead and then she turns around and then her mind is completely gone and she sees she sees the uh, the carnival back there, right? Uh, and the last sequence is her. She sees a vision of all the people from the show that uh, abused her standing there, and they're all laughing at her. 
uh, under these falling cherry blossoms, and she picks up the stick, and she envisions herself fighting them all off. And then she fights them all off, and the last image is she's standing in this white void where she's fighting them. And now they're gone, and now there's no one, and there's no way out. And then she screams, and it is... I, I don't know how to describe it, but that scream is like fucking soul piercing. Like it, oh, yeah. it, it's, it's, it's like the, the scream at the end of blowout or something. Like I get chills hearing it. It's something about Midori where every time I watch it, I've, I've seen it more than anyone should probably see it, which is like yeah. once at most. Yeah. I was going to yeah. say, I, I saw that you logged it like, uh, I've seen like it five times. Five times. Yeah, yeah. yeah I've seen awesome. it five times. Have you ever um, seen it in a theater? Is that even no. possible? <laughs> no, no. Um, I once campaigned to show it at my college cult movie club, and they're like, "No," and I'm like, "That's probably the right thing." <laughs> that's, but, that's fair. Okay. That's fair. I'm not mad um, about it. Uh, but every time I see it, it somehow gets like the first time I saw it, it just terrified me. And every time I see it, it just gets more just deeply, deeply sad. And I just feel not like freaked out by the end, I'm just fucking depressed. <laughs> so it's it's definitely not a good vibe for me, but that scream at the end just it depresses me. It just ruins my day. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. And it's like there's something uh and so just so I can kind of get that interpretation again, the the guy, uh the magician that gets stabbed, mm-hmm. so is that that's that's a part of the illusion, no? Or that no, that, no, that, that happens. That does literally happen, and so that's that what happens. makes the entire thing disappear. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I just wanted to clarify. And you you know, I interpreted it as that 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 was actually an illusion in itself, and he was fucking with her so much that he <laughs> even teased that he killed himself in the illusion to keep it going for. Her. So I thought there was like some more cruelty there. But, uh, but yeah, now that, that it's kind of literalized, that's just purely sad, really. Yeah, yeah in, in, in like a moment of random violence, too, of yeah. just like, you know. Yeah, for sure. And that's, that's something about, I guess, the, the very simplistic underlying philosophy of Midori, which is just that if something bad can happen to you, it will. Uh, like the universe in Midori is an actively conscious and aspiring to crush Midori. It seems right. like the world of Midori has no goal except to ruin this one person's life. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. It does and, feel like there's just some some deity above and, her just going, nope, nope, nope. And if that was played for like drama, I think it would be really cheap. But when it's used in like this surrealist horror setting, it's just deeply upsetting. Yeah, yeah, I it's agree. just really. I don't know. I. I'm getting like upset talking about the movie. Like it, it hits you. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely uh, not not the easiest watch we've ever had on this show. No. Yeah. No. no. For sure. But uh, I I did. Uh, I will say I enjoyed it. I don't know if we're getting to. I don't know if enjoyed it. Right other- <laughs> well, you know what? I, yeah, you know what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. I thought it was. Uh, <laughs> A good piece of art for what it is. Yeah, if, if if we're heading into the reductive rating around this one, this one's gonna get the four for me as well. Actually, nice. Um, I think I'm doing it too. I do. I do think that, like, again, the way that it kind of works is this almost like weird psychedelic kaleidoscopic like nightmare shock cinema yeah. aspect to it. But 
again, the still image artwork itself and some of the compositions and like the texture and the colors and, you know, kind of like the mood it creates of longing and sadness inside Midori interspersed with like this really grotesque, like cruel punishment um, almost for having it yeah. <laughs> uh, creates this really bizarre experience. And I, I, I do think that that experience does get at a kind of like fractured psyche of someone who is viciously traumatized and abused um, in the way that Midori is and the way that she sort of is uh, like constantly yearning for this escape and ultimately does find it. But in kind of like this, mo like this really bare, like most stripped down possible sense of it where she's still completely isolated and, and, and alone. And, you know, there's, there's nothing as like beautiful as like, you know, the sort of like synth score playing as she's looking at like the full moon or something like yeah. that. And, you know, like, like there, there's moments in there where she's dreaming of like beauty and this film basically just strips that from her and she stops dreaming of beauty. She just goes, I would rather live in this fucking white void, void. motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and you almost <laughs> feel slightly okay for her uh in 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 that sense because i mean it is it is heartbreaking Just that it's all gone <laughs> it's better than what she's seen i know i guess yeah, is the, I know the kind of thing for, for sure. it and I, I think ultimately it really does translate just into something about trying to stay sane in, you know, one of the most like psychologically extreme scenarios you could possibly be in. <laughs> yeah. Like filled with rape and animal killing and uh, insane body horror and gore and uh, what is deeply perverted and perhaps questionable taste. <laughs> and like having like, you know, no ownership of yourself at all. You know, yeah. she's a slave completely. But it, but it is as like singularly surreal object of of animation without question so so for me i have to say that like i uh i will describe it as i'll add it into my category of do not avert your eyes cinema yeah which is like the movie begs you to stop watching <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> but like but if but if you can you know you will you will i think get something out of this and uh yeah or maybe yeah. we're bad people. Or, yeah. The, as we say on the show, maybe we're bad people. That, you never that know. I, I, that that is not off the table. If people want to accuse us of being that, you can say that too. <laughs> uh, Feel free. Because we, we, know, that, we know that this movie here. will not be for everyone. And it uh, scrolling through some of the reviews, it was not for a couple people. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm worried about how many people will uh, will be like, oh, what is Sleazoid's doing next? Oh, <laughs> okay. I'm going to take away my Patreon. Thank you. <laughs> so if you go bankrupt because of this, I am not at fault. No, uh, honestly, Josh I'll respect you even more, right Perry. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Oh, I'm a, oh sorry. I, I'm also going to give it a four. Uh, it did get there. I think what really set it off uh, was the beginning of the, the this conversation when uh, you said it, Perry, when you were giving this image of like uh, how they would introduce this film, which was kind of travel, uh, you know, one city a day, one town a day with these, with the circus performers and then put this on and you're, you know, you're surrounded by that kind of an environment and then they're just gone the next day. It's there's, there's some like, I don't know, some dark magic imagery to that. And I, exactly. And I, yeah. And I really like it. Um, and I think it just fits so perfectly with, with this grotesque death metal punk rock film here. It's just, it's one of the most violent, disgusting things I've ever seen. And uh, I don't know, it's, it, it's like, a, like a disgusting Cannibal Corpse lyric. I just have to kind of respect it for how 
disgusting it really is, you know? It's just like, I can't believe a, a human mind came up with this. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, this was an experience, and I would suggest it, but just all the warnings that we've given, don't take them uh, lightly, because this is, this is a really heavy film to watch. Yeah, so. it's, it's not fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, go um, ahead. I'm so I'm gonna of course I'm giving it a five. It's like in nice. my ten favorite horror movies and like my twenty favorite movies in general, probably. Nice. It's it's hits a certain type of vibe I like for a movie where you're dead on calling it like black magic, where it feels like something that was right. like conjured. Yeah. Instead of being for sure. made. For sure. Um, it reminds me of like <laughs> By the some devil. of my favorite movies like uh like a page of madness or begotten or uh, sleep has her house or something, or these movies where they go for this, I'm going to put a pretentious hat here, like this pure <laughs> cinema image experience where the plot falls by the wayside and you just get bombarded with these images that have this very specific cumulative emotional effect. Um, and I think Midori is one of the best examples of that. Uh, cause it really is. I mean, the, the plot is, is there to give it a skeleton and the rest of it is just what strange images can we build off that to specifically needle viewers to feel one particular way. <laughs> it reminds me a lot of like surrealism, like surrealism, old school, not just like, like sparkling David Lynch surrealism, you know, like having these unconscious images just thrown at the wall. Right. And just having to sit with them and see what it conjures up within you. It's, I don't know, this this movie really freaks me out in a way that movies don't usually have the power to freak me out in. And I respect that so much. Yeah, I mean, like we were saying, it's it's hard for us to get shocked on this show anymore. Uh, only doing it for two years and... This was definitely, yeah, it's got to be top the, the, the three, maybe the, the stepping on the tiny puppy movie. and it exploding. <sighs> yeah, I think this definitely offended me more than the porno we did. <laughs> yeah, no, the porno was kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. It was surprisingly lighthearted for, well, uh, I mean, for cutting off dicks. Well, 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 because the porno, like, whether, you know, uh, it was in some capacity about characters pleasuring each other. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well said, Josh. I, well said. I, I just want you to know this that is the, the anti that. I, I mean, I think that's why Perry objected to the word erotic because, like, it yeah. really is like it. It it is sex in like the the most violent Disgust, way. Right. Right. Yeah. There's, like there's no were, uh, you know. There's no attractive scene no. in this in this movie. Yeah, you're not you're not meant to find any of this sexy. And if you are, right. I'm pretty sure everyone involved will probably also think you're you're you've. Something's fucking wrong. Right <laughs> yeah. um, just uh, I just want to let you know, though, originally, before Freaks, the movie I was going to pair this with was probably going to be even nastier than Midori. So I, I, I really, I made a call. <laughs> Feel free to I'm, come I'm back on out. and bring it, my friend. <laughs> All right. Well, be careful what you wish for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just want to add before I wrap it up, though, I mentioned earlier that this film was censored for reasons that you probably would not think. Oh, yeah. Uh, so if you're thinking it's because the film graphically depicts a young girl being raped by armless people constantly, you are wrong. That's not why it was banned. Uh, it's banned because it has pubic hair in it. <laughs> oh, my God. And even uh, worse crime. Yeah, <laughs> which, is, which is a very serious Some would argue. Thing. Uh, in, which is like – That's why if you ever see like the original bootlegs of Cannibal Holocaust – 
uh, where there was like oh, the Japanese yeah. VHS rips and all the naked people had blurs over them. Uh, or if you're someone like me and you try doing artistic breakdowns of Japanese gay porn and you'll see that there's blurs around everyone's penises, it's because you right. cannot show uh, genital hair. Oh, okay. And so, is, is there a reason for that? They can show all this other crazy shit, but just not that genital hair. I'm not sure. Uh, I think there also was something of a depiction of like a cultural figure in this that they weren't allowed to show at the time. Mm. Okay. Wow. That's so, that's so strange. Yeah. So seriously, if you're wondering why so many, uh, like fucked up hentai and things you hear about have like tentacles, it's because they're not penises. They don't have pubic hair. Oh, so it's a it's a workaround. It's a workaround, yeah, <laughs> or a That's reach around, if you will. There, there you go. <laughs> Artists getting fancy. Yeah. Oh my god! All I right. hope you learned a lot today. I learned so much, and I'm very thankful. <laughs> well, I think that will wrap it up for this week's episode. That was Freaks, uh, 1932, and Midori, 1992. Yes, it was. Perry, thanks so much for coming on and bringing these with you. Uh, Kind of a backhanded <laughs> thanks on the, uh, a little th- bit thanks there. Thanks for having me. Um, <laughs> hopefully, the, the true test will be if you speak to me again within a week. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, now, uh, if you've got anything to plug, do it up. Uh, yeah, I do. Um, so I, as Josh mentioned, I did a film recently called Sungazer, uh, which is a very strange, surreal little horror film. That should hopefully be hitting the festival circuit soon. And I am also, if you remember last time I was on here, I talked about a feature I was filming called Blank Tape. Mm-hmm. Uh, production of that is still underway. It should be wrapping up at the end of this month. And it'll move into post-production, so keep your eyes peeled on that for the future. And hopefully I'll have some other exciting things coming up soon as well. All right. Well, I assume Jamie and I will get a, a pretty early viewing of uh, <laughs> Blank um, Tape. Maybe maybe we'll have you come on. <laughs> uh, ooh. That'd be okay. We'll um, see. Mm, free advertising okay i'll take it <laughs> we'll see we'll, we'll, we'll see how we do it but either way i can very highly recommend sun gazer having already uh seen it so definitely check it out if you get a chance and is that going to be available for outside the festival circuit? Uh, yeah anything? once the festival run ends i have i i i don't want to say what i'm doing with it yet but there's going to be a pretty unique form of physical distribution for sun gazer nice. so keep your eyes peeled for that cool. sweet well definitely look out for that we can recommend that Uh, For our listeners, in one week's time, we are going to be back with a bonus episode for you guys over on Patreon, uh, where this this show is a land of contrast sometimes. I I, I try to, you know, uh, move from episode to episode with some sort of uh, uh, gentle form to it, but uh, we're going to be doing sketch comedy next week. Switching gears a little bit. Yeah, Jamie and I had the chance to see um, Monty Python's The Meaning of Life on a 35mm print recently. Um, And Terry Jones recently passed away, so we felt like that needed to be a thing we had to do. So we're going to talk about 1983, The Meaning of Life, um, directed by Terry Jones. And uh, we're going to be pairing it with an even earlier sketch comedy feature film. uh, One film called Kentucky Fried Movie. Yeah. Ooh. Um, I actually hadn't seen either film. So yeah, me neither. Yeah. I'm glad to check them out because, I mean, uh, Jamie and I might kind of date ourselves a little bit on this show because we probably watched 
there are probably people listening who watched older sketch comedy than we did, but like yeah. I kind of got introduced to sketch comedy with like Chappelle show and stuff like yeah, that. So yeah. like, oh. uh, look at this zoomer. I see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 For me, it was like the only, I, I did watch uh, life of Brian and, um, and Holy grail, but those were really the only older sketch comedy. Kind right. Of but the, the, these were kind of like some of the first feature films, like uh, the, the TV shows that really popularized it were stuff like SNL and right, stuff right. like, uh, and obviously Monty Python show, Monty Python yeah, yeah. circus and stuff like that. So I just didn't watch any, either of those, gotcha. which are like, what were the sketch comedy before these films? Gotcha. Um, gotcha. Yeah. Me neither, I guess then. Um, but we're going to talk about some early sketch comedy feature films. And then again, total pivot. After that, <laughs> in uh, two weeks' time, we're going to be back with a free episode, and uh, we are going to be talking. Finally, I have actually saved this film. I, I didn't pick this film ever for a bonus episode, because I wanted to leave it open for a guest to do it, and that guest is finally coming back to do it. We're going to have uh, returning guest Esther Rosenfield, who last Ooh. came on. Uh, <laughs> she brought with her uh, a racer head and a uh, house... Um, but this time she's bringing with her Prince of Darkness, John Carpenter's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think, 1987 film. Uh, on hmm? on certain days, it is my favorite John Carpenter film, so I'm very excited to talk about it finally. Oh, I yeah. think it is um, among fantastic. his most um, uh, underrated. And we're going to be pairing it with The Blair Witch Project. Cool. Which, uh, so for, for a little bit of... Uh, VHS video horror, I think, is the idea yeah. a little bit there because uh, Prince of Darkness obviously has a little bit of time travel involving tape footage and stuff. So, right. Either way, that is going to be the double feature in two weeks' time for all the free listeners. Cool. So, look forward to that. But that being said, I think that will wrap it up uh, for this week. Thanks as always for listening and keep it sleazy. Keep it sleazy.